This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, third quarter GDP from the Commerce Department showing growth at a whopping 4.9%, largest we've seen in several quarters. But what does that tell us about the state of the economy and where it is headed? Pleasure to be joined by Nick Rusinoff, who is a professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Nick, great to talk to you again. Hi, Dan. Great to be here, as always. Okay, so what's unique about this report, I think, is it is a big number. But if you go by a lot of the reporting out there, it seems like the expectation was there, at least for a couple of weeks, that this was probably going to be a big number. Indeed. Uh, but even those expectations were were beaten. I think uh, the consensus was 4.7. 4.9 is you know a little bit higher than that. But uh, yeah, we've had uh, seen the economy uh, kind of accelerate over over the last uh, you know few months of, of, of the third quarter. And in fact, if you look over the whole year, uh, despite the fact that we had sort of a slowdown towards the end of 22, over the whole of 23 so far, we've had. Uh, uh, GDP growth uh, accelerating rather than uh, rather than slowing down. What do you think what was behind this latest report? Is especially, I guess we're looking at that late summer heading into fall time of the year. Yeah, well, we see if we kind of uh, drill into it. It is uh, as as often the case, powered largely by by consumption. The consumer is kind of doing uh, uh, the job of, uh, of of keeping the economy going. Um, the kind of, Personal incomes are not growing uh, as fast, though. So we kind of see consumers potentially dipping into their savings. Uh, We don't see that much expansion in borrowing yet, although there's certainly some, despite the fact that we've had highest uh, rates on uh, credit card debt ever in recorded history uh, due to a tight monetary policy or tight-ish monetary policy. It's not that tight yet, but compared to what we've had recently, certainly um, seems that way. Uh, but yet the consumer is uh, is still uh, uh, doing the consuming. The, the consumer expenditures and durables, non-durables services are all up and all quite strong. Do we think that we're at a point or getting close to a point where this backlog of cash and, and, and financial support that a lot of consumers had, that they have kind of worked through it at this point? Oh, they haven't, I think, fully worked through it, but... I think they're 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 working on it, right? I think the the massive uh, growth in savings and, and bank deposits that we saw in the in the pandemic uh, obviously has been slowly reversing. But I don't think we are kind of yet at the point where the, the typical consumer uh, feels like they're they're tapped out. Uh, it, it certainly, it, it's going you know, that way if if incomes don't uh, don't pick up, um, but Again, I think that there is some reasonable uh, sort of a sense that uh, personal income growth will actually catch up with the GDP numbers. In fact, what we saw in the in the previous uh, in the previous quarters is that uh, GDP uh, uh, was up and gross uh, gross domestic income, which is kind of the other measure of output that's based on based on income, was lagging behind. Um, and that typically means one of those two things: either GDP will slow down or income will pick up. And in, in fact, we saw incomes sort of catch up with GDP as opposed to the other way around. So uh, it might well be that um, uh, as 
you know, the workers are renegotiating their, their pay across the whole economy. It's not just the auto workers. I think this is happening throughout the economy. The labor market is incredibly strong. Uh, em- employment numbers are, are incredibly strong. And I think the, empl- the employees are having uh, their, their bargaining power uh, in their hands now. And I think we will see uh, some of that uh, translate into into income growth, at least for uh, for the workers now, of course, Capital income might uh, might take a hit uh, as a result, and how where that uh, kind of balances out is yet yet to be seen. And whether that in itself will bring about a slowdown uh, is is also something that, uh, of an uncertain uh, kind of uh, uh, pr- pr- projection. Expand upon that a little bit more about uh, about the workers and, and the issues of pay- wages, because we've obviously talked about it a lot with the auto industry and how they're uh, renegotiating their contracts. Uh, it's gone on a little bit, obviously, in Hollywood as well. But it sounds like the, that there are elements of that going on just kind of across the economy right now. Absolutely. That's what happens when the labor markets are tight and uh, the economy is uh, relatively strong, in fact, quite strong. Uh, and so the labor demand is strong, and yet there's just not enough, uh, not enough workers. That means that workers... Uh, do have uh, the bargaining power that they have not enjoyed for perhaps uh, some decades, and of course, in the, these heavily unionized industries uh, like the like the auto uh, and uh, and in some sense the entertainment industry, we see those very visible signs of that with strikes and so on. But in the rest of the economy, that is not uh, as heavily unionized. We just see it. Uh, through uh, uh, employers having to offer higher wages to new hires to attract new hires, because again, we have a bit of a labor shortage going on. And, and it seems like we still have a lot of companies out there that are very much protective of the workers they already have. They don't want to see them going off to another company or leaving for, uh, you know, if they want to do a startup, they want to keep them in in that base. Absolutely. And that, of course, is uh, kind of, again, uh, supporting potential for you know, the income growth uh, for, of those of those workers uh, that we might see going forward. All right. So is the expectation then that we probably won't see the Fed raise rates anytime this year uh, because of a lot of these dynamics at play? Well, so the Fed is in a tight spot here, and it, by the conventional uh, wisdom, uh, I should say that the Fed follows. They cannot really bring the inflation down without slowing down the economy sufficiently. And yet what we see is the economy is not slowing down. If anything, it looks like it's accelerating. Um, And again, employment is super strong. And yet inflation has been uh, coming down. And in some sense, the only danger spots uh, are are not so much uh, the the economy being strong, but supply shocks like in the energy sector, right? Oil prices uh, have gone up over the summer. Uh, those are the things that again the Fed doesn't have much control over, and it would be kind of strange for them to react to that as an inflationary uh, pressure and raise rates. So they're not expected to raise rates in this meeting this uh, that's coming up this week, and it's unlikely that they would raise rates. Uh, you know, in the next uh, in the next meeting after that as well. Although, of course, it's possible. It depends on what inflation numbers uh, we see. But I suspect we will see uh, inflation continuing slow to slow down, but at a at a at a slower and slower rate. So I I feel that we are potentially approaching to, to kind of a, a a more or less steady level of inflation that is higher 
than what the uh, Fed would like to see. They want to see 2%, and we're going to be more like a 3 uh, for for the foreseeable future. And that puts them again in a tight spot because uh, pushing rates further further up, I think, is, is dangerous uh, for the banking system, for, for the mortgage market, for the housing market. Um, and yet uh, they, they need to do something if they don't see inflation uh, coming down. So I think they're going to be kind of higher for longer uh, scenario that they're going to say that, well, we're going to keep rates up as long as it takes. Um, and and if, if need be, uh, raise them further. Uh, I don't see hikes in the kind of immediate horizon, uh, although you know, the fact that we, we saw kind of, uh, the, the yield curve flatten quite a bit, now the, the 10-year yields are pushing 5% here and there, so the yield curve is not as inverted as it was before, suggests that the strong growth expectations are also uh, indicating the potential for Fed to maybe continue tightening, but certainly... Uh, hold rates higher for longer. But what's interesting is when you when you hear some other economists and analysts, that, especially ones that follow uh, the bond market, I mean, you hear some of them talking about potential yields of six, seven, eight percent that we might see here in the next several months. Uh, sure, it's possible, and I think part of that is the increase in the risk premium. Now, the risk premium, of course, is kind of a nebulous. Uh, concept in the end that it's not something that we see. It's the, really the difference between uh, the, um, the market's expectations of future short-term rates and what today's, uh, today's long maturity yields indicate. But I think much of the talk is about the fact that the Fed's uh, uh, quantitative tightening and investors' uh, shrinking appetite for US, uh, US government bonds, in part because of, well, the Fed's uh, aggressive uh, tightening policy, but also the worries about the U.S. deficit and, and, and what is it going to lead to uh, in the long run, uh, means that, well, the, the long-term yields are going to have to pay more. And yeah, I don't think that 6% is, uh, is crazy. Uh, higher than that is unlikely, but certainly possible, certainly if there is more uncertainty about, in, about inflation picking up uh, again. Um, and all of those things suggest that, though, again, we don't know what the risk premium really is, but they all suggest that there's not much of the expectation of a Fed cut anymore anytime soon. I think we've, we've been through this narrative throughout much of the last year with the yield curve being inverted that, well, the, the Fed is, is slowing down the economy enough that they're going to have to cut soon, especially if something that looks like a recession uh, kind of, uh, shows up on the horizon. This does not look like a recessionary economy in any in any way. So unless unless Fed Fed really pushes it that way, it's it's not what we're going to see. And in an expansion, typically the yield curve actually uh, you know steepens with the long maturity yields going up. And I think that's that's kind of behind some of that consensus. Does it feel like the the, the rate increases that the Fed uh, has put into play over the last year and a half that they're finally starting to have some teeth when you think about just kind of the day-to-day -day economy for the consumer here in the U.S.? It's certainly uh, affecting the consumers who are you know, borrowing on the credit cards or through auto loans uh, and so on. Now, again, credit card borrowing is not a big driver of consumption right now because most consumers have quite a bit of liquid savings, as we as we talked earlier. Uh, where I think it's biting the most, of course, is the mortgage market. We've had, we have now the highest mortgage uh, rates in over two decades, 
And uh, that is certainly making the housing market kind of weird. It's not just that the, the home buyers are put off from buying. It's also the sellers that are put off from selling and don't, don't want to give up their, you know, two and a half or three percent mortgages uh, to, to to get into an eight percent mortgage. Right yeah. now, that's a bit of a quirk of how the U.S. mortgage market works, that you cannot take your mortgage with you or you can the mortgage is not attached to the house like it, it is in some other countries. But it is having, I think, the effect of both the supply and demand in the housing market are kind of constrained and i think that if, if nothing else that causes misallocation in the economy it makes it harder for people to move to new jobs again we're talking about labor shortage well labor shortage is particularly acute in some sectors and some areas and if labor mobility is constrained by uh, the consumer's unwillingness to move because they don't want to give up their two and a half percent mortgage that's yeah. not going to help address that that labor shortage and so some of those uh, misallocation of, uh, of effects are potentially going to start showing up. So it's not it's not a very direct. Uh, well, the rates are up. We're going to stop consuming. It's more of an indirect kind of increase in frictions all all through the economy that I think we're going to see, uh, which could slow the economy down. It's just going to take some time. So for, for those that follow it quarter by quarter now, then. What's the expectation we should be looking at for fourth quarter GDP? Obviously not up at 4.9%, but still probably not down in the ones either, especially with the holidays uh, coming up. So I should tell you that uh, I'm on the U.S. Uh, macroeconomists panel that the, the FT puts, uh, puts on. And our, in our last survey, the consensus estimate for uh, U.S. real GDP growth for the year uh, 2023 was about two percent, with with two and 2.5 being the upper bound, 90 percent uh, kind of confidence interval, meaning that only 10 percent probability that it will be higher than that. Well, with the numbers that we just saw come in, it is it would take a big drop in the fourth quarter to get anywhere close to what we kind of as a group had expected. So I think everybody's revising their expectations uh, upwards quite a bit. Um, I think. You know, between three, anywhere, given given how large the numbers we've seen, anywhere between three and four percent of uh, kind of annualized real growth in the in the fourth quarter is not out of the question. I think it will be lower, uh, but I think for the year as a whole, we'll probably end up uh, seeing certainly between two and a half to three percent growth. Um, that that that's my expectation. Nick, great to talk to you as always. Thanks very much. All the best. Thank you very much, Dan. Nick Rusinov, who is a finance professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.